Well, I'm sure glad we've got some people. I've got about a three-hour sermon today, and, and I was just wondering who I was going to lay it on. And I'm looking at some of y'all, and you need it, so don't you go frowning at me. You're going to kind of... By the way, you, you do such a good job with this choir, and you've got such a talented uh, pianist over here. And Nick, I, I tell you what, I, I think Nick is, no, I, I can't say that. No, Nick is a good preacher. He is a good preacher. Amen. He really is. If his wife would just get on and have that baby while they could have a, they could start. <laughs> She had to sing in the choir today. Well, I appreciate it. Nick told me last week, he said, I don't know if I'll be there next Sunday or not. And I thought, well, he didn't want to listen to my preaching. And then I thought, well, no, it's his, it's his wife that he's concerned about there. Uh, I'm going to kind of combine a, uh, this kind of a New Year's sermon. Okay, You might get another one next week. I don't know who's preaching next week, but you might get another one next week. That's all right. I want to talk about God's provisions for holy living. I got a passage of scripture from Second Peter, uh, chapter one, and it says this: "It says Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of God our Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ." Now listen to this: His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which, that is his divine power, by which he has granted to us precious and great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Now, now I don't want to frighten anybody. I, I've got a ten-point sermon. But they'll, they'll go by pretty fast. Believe me, they'll, they'll go by pretty fast. Actually, I've got an 11-point sermon because one point was given to me after I'd finished this message up. So, but I, I'll get through it pretty quickly. I love New, New Year's probably is my favorite holiday. Now, that seems like a strange thing. No, no, no. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I love Thanksgiving. And you say, well, what about Christmas? Well, I like Christmas, but so many things happen in Christmas, you know, that we get caught up with, and I know the family's coming in. We love being with the family. And, but it's just such a busy time, and, and it's been commercialized. I, you know, I spent 15 years walking around China, and, and even in that country that doesn't believe in God, or profess there is no God, uh, they celebrate Christmas. They discovered something over in China. They can make money by promoting Christmas. And so, I, 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 it's not that I don't like Christmas, I do, I like the family coming in, and I like the Christmas songs, and, and I, Nick, I've liked you doing the, the, uh, the, the candles here that comes out of, by the way, the candles that we do, the Advent candles, actually it's taken out of the Jewish festival Hanukkah, the Feast of Lights, and each one of these candles represents something that's very important. Now, I, I like these parts of the, of the church tradition, and uh, I, I remember when I was growing up, uh, we, the, the Baptist church, we were very traditional First Baptist church there. We, we would go to church on Sunday morning, even, even Christmas. But if you really wanted to celebrate, I ought not tell this in this Baptist church. If you really wanted to celebrate Christmas, what my family did Christmas Eve, we went to the Catholic church. I mean, they, they, they know how to put on a, a program. 
and uh, with, with solemnity and the lighting of the candles and the, and the great choirs that they always sang. Well, with it. And then we'd sneak out, of course, and go to the Baptist church because they'd have something late with, with refreshments. But uh, I, I, I was saying is that Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of the year. Probably a second favorite holiday of the year is, is New Year's. Now, that sounds strange. I like New Year's. And the reason I like New Year's is because I like what it symbolizes. You know, one thing we can say, made it through another year. You know, made, it, made another one. And, uh, but, uh, and my wife knows, thank God, she says, I always take the, the week between Christmas and New Year's, that's the day that I clean my office. And it takes me that long to do it. And it doesn't stay that way long, but I do it. I, but I, I like the idea of new beginnings, and I, I like the idea of making uh, uh, New Year's resolutions. I think any time's a good time for a resolution, isn't it? But, but New Year's just seems like an, an appropriate time. And I've made New Year's resolutions. I'll do it again this year. And I've even kept a few of them, not all of them. But, you know, you've got to start somewhere. And so I'll make a few New Year's resolutions, and, and I'll, I'll keep a few of them. Uh, I'm not going to tell you about the ones I made because you'd kick me out of the church. Well, that's all right. I'm not a member of the church anyway. <laughs> so I, I started this. But so I've got a 10-point sermon, but I don't want that to frighten anybody. There's, these 10 points to go by. And actually, I'm, I'm, I'm going to add a, another one onto it, but so I've got a 10-and-a-half-point sermon here. And I want to begin by asking this question. You ready? How easy is it to live the Christian life? How easy is it to live the Christian life? Now, I think I'm going to have you vote. How many of you think it's real easy? How many think it's real difficult? How many of you don't know what I'm even talking about? Okay. Well, let me tell you, the Christian life is not easy. I mean, to... to, to, to Try to find, and I'm not just talking about the do's and not's and not keeping the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about trying to follow the footsteps of Jesus. It's not an easy life. But I want to tell you this. I promise you by experience, to not live a Christian life is much harder than to live. The, the living the Christian life is difficult. But to not live the Christian life is much harder, much more difficult. I would rather go through the valley with Jesus Christ than to go through the valley with the devil. In this life, we're going to have difficulties. We're going to have tribulations. But Jesus said, be of good cheer. I'm not going to relieve you from the tribulations, but be of good cheer because I've overcome this world that you're going through. I don't like to hear Christians joining in the course of the world by supplying excuses for not living the Christian life. We do that. We say, oh, woe is me. The devil is so strong, and he's so trickery, and, and my flesh is so weak. We just make excuses, and we just hand them out to the devil for, for failure sometimes. Someone said to me one day, and said the prophet to you, said, said Richard, you've got to give the devil his due. Huh? You ever heard somebody say that? Give the devil his due. May I ask you a question? Why don't we give God his due? Why don't we give God his due? If the devil traps us up, there's a God who's helping us and strengthening us and guiding us and giving us instruction each step of the way. I've discovered that I'm going to talk about some of the things that God has given to you to help you to live the kind of life that, yes, it's difficult, 
If you live for God, it's going to be difficult. If you don't live for God, it's going to be difficult. Whether you live or whether you die, it's going to be difficult. But I promise you, I assure you, that living the Christian life is the best life possible that you could have in this world. 2 Peter 1 through 8 is a stance against that, woe is me, I'm so weak, that Peter himself had to overcome. Peter would have considered himself, if Paul hadn't claimed the prize to be the chief of all sinners, Peter constantly was putting his foot in his mouth and stumbling down the way. Well, that's the reason we like Peter. We can identify with him. But I like the prayer of an old-time evangelist, A.C. Roy, who prayed one day, and he said this, Lord, I thank you that you have not made it easy to fail. I thank you, Lord, that you have not made it easy to fail. The Christian life and the life that I bid you to come to, and that the preachers have stood in this pulpit for a hundred years have, have bid you to come to, is, is the life of following Jesus. And please, friend, if you follow Jesus, please remember you're following a crucified Lord. And you did not promise an easy path for you. He did promise the best path for you. But 2 Peter 1 through 8 is a stance against this, woe is me. Christ equips us for what he calls us to. And certainly one of my favorite songs that I love is the second verse of How Firm a Foundation. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God, I will still give thee aid. Will strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. The Bible tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of hope. And so I'm going to tell you something. Between now and this New Year's, you're making your resolutions. Quit making excuses. Um, I, I, I know you do, because I've done it. The there's, there's, Bible tells us there's no temptation that's taken. You or me, the substance is common to man. You think you're all alone in this struggle. You're not all alone. Guys, I could take all the men in this group and take them back here in the back room and just whoop you up if I was big enough. I'm not big enough. By the way, I, I like tossing little stories every now and then. I, I, was, I was in law school when I started dating my little wife back there. Poor Gloria, she didn't know what she was getting into. She was just a senior in high school. And the, can you imagine her mother and daddy letting me go out with her? I was six and a half years older than she was. And the first time I took her out, I didn't know she had a boyfriend that was in the high school. Played on the football team, more high school. And I took Gloria home late one night. She led her out there, and I was getting in the car driving off. And, 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 and the Moore football team met me out there on Eastern Avenue in, in Moore, Oklahoma. And Ed Brown, Ed Brown, who's this big, he got out of the car. They, they, I mean, they had, they had cars pulled across the, the road there and stopped me. And Ed Brown got out there. And Gloria, I'm sorry to tell this story on you, sweetheart. She, not, she, she knows I'm not. Ed Brown stopped me out there. He said, you know who I am? I said, I don't have the faintest idea who you are. He said, I'm Ed Brown, and that was my girl you've been out with. I said, well. He said, now you get this great wisdom that comes from your preacher today. He said, I'm going to beat you up. I looked at him. And I said, I bet you can do it. I just bet you can do it. Uh, he didn't. Now, the reason he didn't, 
gang, you'll need to hear this now. You need to know Gloria's family. When I was pulling out and, and Gloria was looking out the door as I was pulling away, and she saw those cars on the, high, on the road stop me. And she said to her daddy, she said, Daddy, I don't have to explain. I don't have time to explain right now, but Richard needs your help. And praise God because her daddy came out with a loaded 38. <laughs> and that's the only reason I'm standing before you today. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I tell you the reason I married, I married Gloria is because I was embarrassed not to. I was afraid she'd think I was a chicken if I didn't. I don't even know what that has to do with my sermon. My Bible tells us, oh, yeah, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of self-control, 2 Timothy 1.7. And so quit making excuses. And I, here, gang, this is a great time between now and the new year for y'all to come to this point of saying, you're like, I'm, this next year is going to be different. I am resolved. This next year is going to be different. I'm going to do better. Guys, that's why I started a while ago. If I could take you all back there by yourself and, and just chomp all over you and stomp on you and kick you and say, you quit making excuses for these sins and these habits that hang on to our life. We do. We make excuses. We talk about the weakness of our flesh and we don't talk about the strength of God. Now, so here's my sermon. Ten points. I'm going to tell you ten things that God has given to you to help you to live the Christian life. Now, I'm going to tell them to you, and it's up to you whether you use them or not. But don't you go complaining to God if you don't use the, utilize the tools that he's given you to help you live the Christian life. If you're not using them and you fail and you falter and you fall flat on your face, don't look at God and say, God, I, I didn't, what could I do? I'm weak of the flesh. God said, I've given you stuff to help you. The Bible tells us that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through the power of him who called us by his own name is the righteousness of God. Don't blame God for your weaknesses. Don't blame God for your failures. Don't talk to me about the weakness of flesh and the weakness of the drawing of the spirit of God. I know that the strength that God gives to us to help us overcome. But if we do not avail ourselves to the means of grace that God has given to us, Whose fault is that? So, ten things, and then eleventh. Ten things that God has given to help you. Now, you go make your New Year's resolution. Out in the, out in the foyer over here, as you're leaving, if you go out this doors over here, I, I've got the ten points memographed off over there, printed off over there. I memographed, I'm dating myself. Uh, I've got the ten points printed over here. I didn't let you have them now because you would have read them and gone home. And so, but, but if you want to leave, if you want to know what these 10 points are, because I'm curious, these are 10 things that God has said, guys, girls, shape up. You've lived long enough wallowing around in your excuses. I'm telling you 10 things that God has given to you to help you to live the life that he's called you to, a completely possible life that he's called you to. All right, here they are. First thing God's given to you is the church. Is the church. You know, you know what the church is full of? church is full of hypocrites. I know it is because I'm one. And thank God, you know, when I put this suit on this morning, and I put on my china tie, by the way, when I put this suit on this morning, you know what I was doing? I was becoming a hypocrite. I want you all to think nice, man. I want you to look at me and say, ooh, ooh, what a nice looking man he is. Look at that nice suit he's got on, you know. Well, you know, 
but when, when we come to church, the, the first thing when people get mad at God is that they usually quit the church. And yet God gave us the church with all of its problems, with all of its difficulties, with all the hypocrites. And if you want to know what hypocrites, start looking in yourself. Thank God we're hypocrites. I don't want you to see me at my worst. But God said to Jesus, said to himself, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't do it. And he knew who he was talking to. Jesus said, I've called you to be with me, and I want you to continue on with me as you walk through this life. We need the church. We need to walk into the door and look at old Ray over here and say, you know, Ray, I know you've got a hard life. You married a rough man over there, kid, Daryl. I'm talking about you. Don't look at me that way. Uh, and say, but, but preacher, you don't know how difficult it is for me, you know. God knows. And he's given us the church to help us. We come to this church not because we're better than anybody else. We come to this church because we're not better than anybody else. We come to this church because we're sinners. Every one of you are sinners. And when I say, how many of you are sinners? I, there will all be a flushing of hands in this congregation. We come and we draw ourselves together because we get strength from one another. And, and so the Bible tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as, by the way, the manner of some is. Throughout every step of my Christian pilgrimage, the church has been there. When I was a junior boy, it was a high school teacher that made me, led me to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. When I found a wife, it was ultimately through the direction of the church. When I've experienced sorrow, it was through the help of the church that I, I made it through those things. I, I love the church. I know it's not perfect. You, you ask the pastors of your church, the preachers, and they're the first ones that can tell you how unperfect the church is. But let me tell you something about it. When you start criticizing the church, you're criticizing Christ's bride. I'd be careful about doing that. He knows that you're made of people just like us. And so I, I, I want to think, don't talk bad about the church to me. Don't tell me all the things that are wrong with the church. I know that they're there because it's made of people like me. But Christ loved the church. And he called us and he said, gang, don't forsake the assembling yourselves together. Stay together. Keep in there. Keep working on it. That's one thing. He's given us the church. Second thing. He's given us the example of Christ to follow. He has given us the example. Of, you want to know how to live the Christian life? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are pretty good, uh, pretty good books for knowing how to live the Christian life. The Bible says that Christ has given us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. When I survey the wondrous cross, I know how I ought to live. And then the third thing, he's given us the example of others. You know, there are some pretty decent people in this church. Uh, back before I, I, I fell off to the Mennonites, I was a member of this church for 10 years. Loved it. Uh, but in this church, I find examples of people that walk with God. I, I, it's, it's not that they walk perfectly but as people are trying to walk with God and, and, and loving God and praying God, and I, I've seen some of you folks at your best reaching out to help people who've fallen down and, and trying to encourage one another and doing things for one another. I've seen you pray. I used to sit in on the prayer meetings and things. And I thank God that because you have the example not only of Christ, but you also have the example of other people. Paul wrote and said this, and this is an amazing statement. He said, be a follower of me. Can you imagine that? Be a follower. I don't know if I'd have the courage to say something like that. But hey, listen, gang. 
you better stuff up the courage because whether you like it or not, people are going to follow you. People are going to look to you. And so if you, if you might as well re- recognize they're looking at you and maybe that helps set your life up a little bit. Be a follower of me as I am of Christ. I've had some great preachers. I grew up and went to the University of Oklahoma out of high school in 1958. Went to First Baptist Church there in Norman, Oklahoma. And preacher E.F. Halleck, the dean of the pastors of Oklahoma, was the pastor of that church there for 41 years. And my, what a godly example he set for us. And, and, and I, I love the preacher Halleck to this day. Carl Stringer, our director of missions there in Union Association for so many years, of, uh, was a great help to me. Vel Demery, an attorney friend of mine who helped support me in my mission causes as I began going out among the nations of the world. And there have been people in this church that have encouraged me. People in this church who I've sat with in Sunday school class and at prayer meetings and other types and, and seen your example and saw you, how you faced your difficulties. And so Christ gives us not only the church, he not only gives us the examples of Christ himself, he gives us the examples of others. And then the next thing he has given to us, and now remember, I'm giving you ten things plus with an addition. And so if you're going, if you're going to make excuses for not living the Christian life, don't come to me because there's no excuses for it. You may fail, but if you fail, at least fall forward and get up and start following again. He's given us this book. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. And how, how on earth can we, you know, God gives you a $6 million Bible and you, uh, body and you won't pick up a $6 book to read how to operate it? This is an operating instruction manual for how to get along with it. Many years ago on vacation Bible school. I learned these words. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word, and will make it a lamp to my feet, a light to my path, and will hide its word in my heart that I may not sin against God. You know, I'm I'm talking about you finding it hard to live the Christian life. I'm saying take advantage of the men's of grace. And if you're finding it difficulty, and you may go over this checklist and pick all these up as you're leaving, and say, what am I failing in? What am I not following with? What, what of, of God's graces am I not taking? And then another uh, fifth thing that God has given to us to help us live the Christian life is prayer. The privilege of communication. Communication, by the way, is a two-way street. I talk to God. God talks to me. Now, if, if you're not on the listening end as well as the speaking end, there's something wrong with your prayer. You read over in, in, in Romans 6, 7, and 8, and you read about the work of the Holy Spirit who speaks to us and comes to us and guides us and leads us, but he gives us a privilege of prayer. Jesus made this statement one day. He said, you have not because you ask not. Oh, not what Peter, that wasn't Jesus. That was one of his apostles. Oh. Oh, I brought something. This is show and tell. See this book? I, the last time I was with you, I, I shared with you about my wife's stroke here, a year, almost a year and a half ago now. And, uh, and I, I, I learned so much out of that. One of the things I learned is that uh, I needed people praying for me. Oh, I wanted people to be praying. I wanted praying for my wife and my family. I wanted them to be praying for me. And... Uh, and then I, I got convicted of something. I thought about, now I, listen, I'm a pastor of a church. I was pastoring Grace Mennonite Church. 
But I thought, how many times have people come to me in the church and said, Pastor, would you pray for me? And then they'd tell me something. Maybe pray for Aunt Sally or pray for my work situation or pray for my teenage daughter. And they, they, you know, they said, well, Pastor, would you pray for me? And being the godly man that I am, I said, well, certainly I will. And then I forget. By the time I get home, I'd forget. I can't tell me how many lies I've told when I've told people I'd pray for them and didn't do it. And God convicted me of that. When I wanted people to be praying for my wife, I, I wanted them praying for her. I didn't want them just telling me that. I wanted them to be praying for her. And God convicted me of this matter. I've been doing that all my life, telling people I'd pray for them and then forgetting it. So I got a little book, and I started going through it. And people come up to me, and they say, would you pray for something? I said, I sure will. And I'd write it down. And Gloria and I, every day, every day, every day, we sit down and we read our Bible together, and we open this up, and we go over a prayer list. And people have asked us to pray for them. And keep it on there, sometimes for days and weeks, and sometimes for months, and sometimes for as long as I've been doing it. Because I believe in the power of prayer. And you need to do something like this. Write them down. I got my family. I got the churches, Grace Mennonite Church, Garland Road Baptist Church, First Baptist Church here. And then people that I've known, some young people that are struggling, and I have their names down here. People that I know that are sick, ministries that I'm helping to support, people that I've met on my mission trips, protection from COVID and all kinds of things. Because prayer is one of the things that God has given us to help us to live the Christian life. And you can't neglect it. And when somebody says to me, will you pray for me? I'm going to write their name down. And by the way, I also told the church when they went, because I'm going to do it. And I don't want to be involved in any frivolous praying. You know. So, well, you, need to do, you can do something like that. And so we have this privilege of prayer. And then the sixth point that God, things that God has given to help us, he's given us the Holy Spirit. The Bible says Christ in you. Jesus told us, I'm not going to leave you alone. Yeah, I'm going to go away, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to come to you. And the paraclete, the one who walks alongside you, is going to come to you, and he's going to be with you. And we have the privilege of prayer. Praying is a two-way communication. The Holy Spirit is both the receiver and the transmitter. When I pray to God, I pray through the Holy Spirit. And he takes the prayers that I make, he takes them up to the throne of God, and God gets ready, gives me an answer, he gets the answer to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes down and lays it on my heart. The Holy Spirit is the only intermediary we ever need between us and God because he is God with us. We have this privilege of prayer. The Bible says you have not because you ask not, which brings me to that next point, which is the Holy Spirit, which is Christ in you. Isn't that nice to know? When you talk to me about, about being so weak and you can't overcome all these temptations, I'm wondering, where's the Holy Spirit? The Bible talks about Christ being in you. And that's through His Holy Spirit. I will not leave you comforted. The Holy Spirit comes and He convicts me of sin. He counsels me. He comforts me. He is my companion. I remember, oh, it's been 12, 15 years ago, I made one of my first trips to the nation of Myanmar, which is, most Americans know it as Burma. Went into Myanmar and, uh, and I had a, a, a lady sing, sing, Gloria, that said, we're going to go out to the village. We're going to his village. Now, the Burmese government, the Myanmar government, it was a military government, they will not allow foreigners to be out in the country after dark. And so whatever we did, we had to go out there, do what we are going to do, and get back into the city before night fell. 
And I said, can we get out there and get back? Time? She said, yeah, we can, but we're not going to have much time once we get there. And so we're going out there. We get several uh, little tuk-tuk taxi kinds of things going out into this countryside. And I'm thinking, God, it's going to take us most of the morning to get out there, and it's going to take us most of the afternoon to get back. And I got, I said, we're not going to have much over 30 minutes when we get to this village. And so I asked my guide and interpreter, I said, I said I, is there a church in that village? He said, no, there's not even any Christians in that village. I said, there's no Christians in the village. There's no Christian in the village. And I thought, God, what am I going to do? You know, you're sending us out to a, to a village that has had no Christian witness in it, that uh, maybe we'll never have another Christian missionary come out to them for no telling how long. And we've got 30 minutes to tell them about Jesus. Actually, 15 minutes with an interpreter. And uh, I, I, was, I was bothered. So we got out there, and, and, and this village had assembled themselves, and they got together in a little bamboo hut. And there were maybe 20, 25 people sitting in this hut. And, and I, I'm still getting ready to talk to them and try to share with them a few brof, brief moments about, about Christ and what he means to us. And, uh, and I'm still thinking, God, 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 so little time, what am I going to do? And then God reminded me. He said, Richard, I've been in this village a long time. I've been in this village a long time. And so the first words that came out of my mouth through my interpreter was this. Even as I am speaking to you, something is telling you that's the truth. And I began sharing, and, and I watched an old man sitting in the back, and his eyes just popped open. And I, he said, yes! That's true! Listen to him! I think every person in the village made a decision for Christ that day. Now, you see what a great preacher I am. All those people made those decisions for Christ. Cooper, you could have preached there and they'd been making decisions for Christ because it was the Holy Spirit that was doing it. He is the one who walks with us and he guides us and he leads us and he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he sent the paraclete to be with us. The seventh thing that God has given to you to help you to live the Christian life and that is gifts and fruit of the Spirit. When God calls you, he also equips you. God is not going to ask you to do something he has not prepared you for. Now, you may not think he's prepared you, but if the Holy Spirit is in you, you're prepared. When God calls you, he equips you, and he gives you fruits, and he gives you gifts and things to work with. And I don't know, Baptists are so afraid of 1 Corinthians 12, 14, and 15. The only one we think belongs in 1 Corinthians is chapter 13. That's the only one we ever memorize. Well, that's a beautiful chapter. That's a love chapter, okay? But you need to read those other chapters about the fruits of the Spirit and how they can work in our lives and how they can strengthen us and make us servants of Christ on a higher and a greater level. And we understand that it's not I, but Christ in me. And then there's an eighth thing that God has given us to help us live. You're not going to like this one. Mm -hmm. He gives us discipline. Yep, that's one of his gifts. He spanks us. He knows how to correct us. He disciplines us. He says, that's bad. No, no, that's good. That's good. Because the Bible tells us that if God does not discipline you, then you're not a child at all. You know, uh, 
when I was growing up, when I was a kid and I did something bad, I expected to be disciplined. And I guess I would start thinking of something wrong if I wasn't disciplined. You know? And I've discovered something else about my mom. By the way, my mama spanked me a hundred times. I don't remember any of them. My daddy spanked me twice. I'll never forget them. But I, I, I wondered one time about my mom. I said, Mama, I don't know if you love me or not. And she looked at me strange. I said, well, you're always beating on me. You're not beating on the neighbors down the street. And he said, they're not my kids. You're my child. Now, if you ever wonder why God whoops you up, it's because you're his child. What parent does not discipline the child that he loves, the Bible tells us? Gang, I, I'm, I'm trying to give you some very practical things that, that you can do. To say, I'm going to start bringing, incorporating these things into my life so I can live this life that I know that Christ has called me to and has empowered me to live. A ninth point, the thing that God has given to us. And that's the cross of Jesus Christ. Songwriter said, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gains I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. And, and he gives us the cross. And when I get thinking sometimes, well, Lord, I've just gone as far as I can go and I've done more than anybody could ever expect me to, then Jesus says, look, to Calvary. I haven't gone as far as Jesus went. I have not yet gone toward the point of shedding of my blood for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives me the cross. And the cross shows me, number one, what I am. I'm a sinner. Christ died for me because I was a sinner. It also shows me what I was worth. Christ died for me because he thought I was worth it. And third, it shows me how I should live. We are to live as those who have been crucified to Christ. Number ten. Christ, present, heavenly ministry. You're struggling with your sins. You're struggling this road. You're trying to do the right thing. You're having difficulties. Guess what? You have an intercessor right there at the right hand of God. And he's praying for you. I I like that. I I don't know if my prayers do much good, but I have confidence that Christ's prayers does a great deal of good. And the Bible says he ever liveth to make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Hebrews 7, 25. I need those things. And if I incorporate them into my life, I believe that I can be empowered to live the life that Christ has called me to. And I don't want to keep on another day, another week, another year, going on with the same old selfish excuses for not doing it. Do you understand? Thank you. Quit making excuses. Now, point ten and a half. This is one that was given to me, and I liked it so much, I'm going to add it on to this list. Christ has given you one other thing to help you live a Christian life. He has given you a destiny. A destiny. Romans 8 says, For we have been predestined in Christ Jesus. That's the word comes from the word destiny, predestined. Christ has given us a destiny, or if you will, Christ has given us a destination. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. 
You see, gang, you, you've got this week now before New Year's. Why don't you take it and instead of making all these excuses, get on your knees sometime before this day is over and raise your hands up to God and say, God, thank you. Thank you that you've given me all these things. Thank you that you've made, not made it easy for me to fail. Thank you, God, that I can overcome. I don't have to be constantly dredged down the old habits and the old sinful ways and the old sinful thoughts. I don't have to be the same person that I have been. I can be a new person in Christ Jesus. He gives to us a destiny. We're going to be changed. We will be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, I've got these on a list out here if you want to take them home with you. But listen, use this as a basis for your New Year's resolutions. You can be resolved no longer to linger. Charmed by the world's delights, things that are higher, things that are nobler. May these allure your sight. Heavenly Father, I pray for this congregation. I thank you, Lord, for them. I thank you for this man who leads the singing Sunday after Sunday here and does such a great job. And the, the girl over at the piano, such a marvelous job. And for Nick, God, who who's as good as David Jeremiah is preaching. Thank you, Lord, for the leadership that you've given to First Baptist Church. Lord, uh, I extend an invitation, not that I'm necessarily asking anybody to come forward. They certainly can. But to say, Lord, I'm tired of failing. I'm tired of failing, and I'm going to take advantage of the means of grace that you've given to me. With all I can, God, I'm going to give myself to you and try to live for you as better than I ever have before in this coming year. I ask your help and your presence in Jesus' precious name. Amen.